Nutrition fuels our bodies and minds. Our strength, mobility, energy, and even mood rely on the right nutrition, and scientists are continually uncovering new secrets. Welcome to Nutrition Unlocked, the podcast celebrating innovations advancing the role of nutrition and health, sponsored by Nestle Health Science. In this episode, we're talking about the critical role that nutrition plays for people with cancer. Our host is Cal Hahn. Welcome back to another episode of Nutrition Unlocked by Nestle Health Science. I'm your host, Cal. And in this episode, I'm really excited to talk about a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, which is nutrition as it relates to oncology. And this comes at no better time because World Cancer Day is just around the corner, which strives to drive awareness, encourage prevention and detection and treatment of cancer. And this year's theme is Close the Care Gap. And today we're joined by none other than Dr. Liz Eisenring. She's had over two decades of experience within this field. She's an advanced accredited dietitian and nutritionist, CEO of Link Nutrition, which provides nutrition, health, and wellness coaching consultation for people around the world, and a professor of nutrition dietetics at Bond University in Australia. So Dr. Liz, thanks for joining us. And I think maybe just to kick us off and get us started, just a little bit about your story and how you got started with nutrition and personalized nutrition within the space of oncology. Yeah, absolutely. I've always been interested in food and science. So going into nutrition and dietetics was very logical. And my first uh, real job was as a clinical hospital dietitian and working to support people with cancer. So the nutritional management of the cancer wards and the stem cell transplant ward. And uh, yeah, it was definitely very challenging. And as a keen dietitian, I wanted to implement all these things, including some of the things from the top US hospitals. I was lucky. I had some really great supportive doctors, but they rightly wanted the evidence and said, show me the mm. evidence. And uh, being the young, keen dietitian I was, I said, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and then went out and uh, realized there were some huge gaps, huge gaps. So that kind of started the whole research journey. That's fantastic. And yeah, I think this is a good transition to this question, which is if you think about the cancer journey, all the way from diagnosis to treatment to side effect management, all the way to prognosis and remission. As you think about that journey in cancer, which can be a very long one for many people, where did you see nutrition interjecting into that process? So where I initially really came to play was supporting people while they were having their cancer treatment. So either in okay. the hospital or receiving chemotherapy and radiotherapy. And it was interesting to me to see, obviously, people were eating better than others or more than others and seemed to have better outcomes. And so I was interested to know, was it related or was it just because when you're feeling better, you're more likely to eat? And so I dug through a lot of the recommendations and found out that we actually really, particularly, I mean, this is over 20 years when I first started this work, but mm -hmm. we really did not know a lot at all. So it was really about just trying to answer those questions. I guess the other big thing is that if anyone spoke about nutrition, it was very much dependent on their specialist. So if the specialist kind of thought nutrition might play a role, then they might get to see a dietitian or some support, but otherwise not. So the care okay. was so mixed. And, you know, there were a few sort of horror stories of where people slipped through the gaps and, mm. you know, they'd had treatment, they'd done this, they'd done that. By the time I'd seen them, they were malnourished and several months into their cancer journey. And wow. it's incredibly frustrating because if we'd screened for malnutrition, we would have picked them up. And obviously, nutrition treatment earlier is much, much more important. So to answer your question, it was really during treatment 
But okay. what we know now, the science has advanced so much. What we know now is actually nutrition is important at every single step of the cancer journey, including prevention as well, most importantly. And just to build on this, I mean, it sounds like it's progressed kind of the intervention of nutrition throughout the cancer journey. When it comes to the kind of engagement or kind of, I would say, education among the HCPs or the clinics or hospitals, have you also seen that shift evolving from, okay, less nutrition, nutrition's becoming more important, therefore it's becoming, I don't want to say standard of care, but it's becoming a part of that holistic, I would say, patient wellness. Yeah. And I would love to say that that's absolutely the dream. It should be standard of care. And in fact, we've contributed to international evidence-based guidelines showing that it should be standard of care, particularly for certain very high-risk cancer groups. I'd like to say there's a lot of great things happening, but unfortunately there are still gaps. And, you know, there's Mm -hmm. a variety of reasons. And I chat to my oncology colleagues all the time because obviously they're working very hard and everyone wants to do the best. As far as I can see, it's mainly a problem of silos and specialists. You've got the surgeon, you've got the chemo doctor, the radiation doctor, maybe a gastro, and all these people who are brilliant at their one area, but perhaps not lengthy enough. And actually, Cal, I can share, I was very fortunate to do a bit of a tour of some of the leading cancer centres around the world, including in the States and Canada. And I did the patient experience. I followed some patients for a day and went throughout all the specialists. And it was really fascinating that even in some of the top centers, oh my goodness, there's gaps, there's miscommunication. The patients, they have to answer the same questions all the time. They want to say there's some wonderful care. And we do have the evidence now to show that nutrition during cancer treatment, is really important. It can help improve quality of life, make right. sure that people basically can do those activities of daily living. So we've got the evidence, we've yeah. got guidelines. We've got some amazing centres of excellence, but there are some patches. And I guess as World Cancer Day is highlighting, unfortunately, there are still some big gaps, particularly in rural and remote areas and in certain parts of the world. So that's a big one that we want to try and overcome that one. And the other thing about, I would say the idiosyncrasy about cancer is cancer is different patient to patient. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about personalization. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about nutrition and how that personalization layer builds into each patient as well. So when we refer to the nutritional treatment as medical nutrition therapy, which is really highlighting the evidence-based nutrition for this patient group. And yeah, you've nailed it. It absolutely has to be tailored and individualized. And this is where it can become a little bit tricky because what might be the most appropriate nutrition recommendation, for example, it might be high protein, low fiber or or something like that, just an example for a certain type of patient. For someone with a different type of tumor and undergoing different treatment, it may actually be very different. And so, of course, it's very challenging when patients chat to themselves. It's also Mm -hmm. incredibly challenging when people go to Dr. Google. I guess that's one of my big pieces of advice. I know it's understandable, but don't type in nutrition and cancer because you're going (laughs) to just be overloaded. And most, unfortunately, is not great. Uh, Most is actually just different people trying to sell different things, not necessarily evidence-based. That's why I love what we're doing here with the podcast and some of the cancer organizations and societies. They're your good starting point for some evidence-based as you know, and just be wary. And I, I know it, it's often well-meaning family and friends, and you can understand it. But mm-hmm. you know, the whole vinegar's going to cure this, and you know, try this one <laughs> thing, and you know, cross your whatever, close your eyes, and jump on one leg, and you'll be cured. Unfortunately, <laughs> it, it does go a bit crazy. All right, that's probably not evidence-based, is it? 
<laughs> no, let's yeah. be clear on that. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Dr. Liz, we talked a bit about the cancer journey. And as somebody goes through that journey, how would you say that the nutritional needs of the body changes as somebody is either first diagnosed, going through treatment, or post-journey? Why do we need different nutrition? And why does the body change and need different nutrition as they go through that journey? Yeah. So, I guess a good place to start is nutrition really is our fuel for our body. And I think often we should think about it that we are actually sports vehicles or high-performance vehicles like sports cars, and we should look at fuel. Our food really is fuel. And the main components, things like protein, which are a building block of our muscles and our tissues, things like fat, for example, are very important for different hormones and carbohydrates are energy source and important for immunity. So that's just generally when we're, when we're healthy and well. So, of course, with a cancer diagnosis and then perhaps undergoing treatment, one of the big things during treatment is that not only is it, depending on the type of treatment, but the whole idea is to knock out the tumour cells, which are very rapidly dividing cells. And so, unfortunately, though, with the various treatments, there are side effects because they do tend to affect some of the healthy cells as well as the tumour cells. Right. So, requirements do change. Often, protein requirements, for example, may be higher because it's very important to try and ensure that uh, immunity uh, maintain our muscle mass. We've got great evidence that maintaining a muscle mass is very important, linked with various outcomes, including quality of life and even how well people respond to treatment. The challenge is that we've got increased requirements during treatment, but it may actually be coupled with the fact that people aren't able to eat as well as they normally do because exactly. some of those side effects of treatment as well. So you sort of got the double whammy. And then I guess right. the other thing to be aware of is obviously different cancers have higher nutrition risk. So if we talk about one of the groups I did my PhD on, for example, was people with head and neck cancer and also stomach and gastro cancer. So of course, anything sort of affecting the gut, common side effects is that people may not feel as well and can't actually eat as much as they, they normally will. Sometimes, you know, people with head and neck cancer may even require liquid diets or going on tube feeding because they just physically cannot swallow past the tumour site or be so severely affected by the side effects. So right. it's about still ensuring the adequate nutrition, but sometimes it might be in a different form or by a different route. And the treatments are so personalised now that it really is quite individualized. So we might generally say it might be higher protein or energy requirements, it might be certain nutrients, but depending on the treatment and also the patient, some of the people that I see with head and neck cancer are actually quite malnourished before they even start treatment because you know, it might take a while before it's diagnosed. Often they have a sore throat for a while and okay. lose weight. And initially, a lot of people are actually quite happy that they're losing weight because particularly if they're a bit overweight and always struggled with their weight. Sure. But one of the things we need to be aware that unintentional weight loss is actually not a good indicator and it can actually mean that you may need more treatment breaks and aren't going to have as good outcomes. So this is where nutrition can really play a key role with decreasing treatment interruptions and right. basically helping treatment work the way it's designed to do. So, Dr. Liz, when we think about the body and kind of at the cellular or biological level and how things are changing through that journey, can you give us some examples of what things may change and how nutrition may be able to address that? Yeah, absolutely. So maybe I'll highlight some sort of more sort of physical 
examples. So I don't know if people can remember Patrick Swayze and even Steve Jobs before they passed away. They looked very wasted. And that term we call as cachexic. And that's often common with pancreatic cancer and other sorts of cancers. And that's where basically there's a whole lot of metabolic dysregulation within the body. And so normally, if we're not eating as well as we should, then the body will take out different nutrients and it might be basically we need to eat more protein or fat or something like that. And the body is very good at looking after itself. But unfortunately, in terms of a lot of end-stage disease, it may lead to, we sort of break it up into a couple of different parts, but it might be different stages of cachexia. At the very end, you know, for example, with Steve Jobs, Patrick Swayze, whatever, it is very challenging to manage. But we've got good evidence that earlier on, basically, we're either delaying or reversing that process. And the problem in that is there's all the dysregulation. So it's very challenging. But that's, I guess, an extreme example. But I just mentioned that because a lot of people, certainly for my age group anyway, remember Patrick Swayze when in the height of dirty dancing and then unfortunately very wasted right at the end. And that's the classic example of cachexia. But if we go back for other different types of cancers, a lot is mediated by what we call pro-inflammatory cytokines. So there's a lot of different inflammation happening. The increased requirement for protein is either in terms of recovery from some of the healthy cells that might be damaged by treatment. And then I guess there's a challenge with the different types of nutrition. So, you know, what's actually happening with the tumor cells are quite hungry and tend to go for glucose and those sorts of things. Mm. But one of the big things is with the treatment is actually to knock out the tumor cells. So during treatment, uh, people might already be at risk of malnutrition, whether it's because they haven't been eating as well or because of the increased requirements, or it might even be a combination of that plus the side effects of treatment. So that's a big one. And in terms of malnutrition, I'm referring to what we call disease-related malnutrition or cancer-related malnutrition. And it's more a combination of the disease and that people aren't eating enough or may not be able to utilize those nutrients as well as they normally do. For example, a common side effect might be diarrhea or gut issues. So you're actually having problems to absorb some of the nutrients that you are taking in. So it's a whole host of little challenges that the person with cancer typically can experience. Right. And we've been talking about these different ways the body's impacted biologically, but I think it's all kind of one big chain, right? When they talk about treating the patient, they try to treat the whole patient. Unfortunately, some of the carers worked in silos independently, but I think I often hear as well that we need to treat the whole patient physically and mentally, right? So this is, a, I would say, all big connection. Absolutely. And I guess one of the things that we need to remember as well, not surprisingly, mental health issues like anxiety and depression are pretty common in people with cancer, which I think is very understandable. But the other thing is malnutrition, which is also quite common in certain cancer types, also can have exactly those same symptoms. It's very closely linked with anxiety and depression. So Mm -hmm. you can get into a bit of a vicious cycle where people might be off their appetite or not be able to eat. And they are experiencing depression, anxiety, and trying to tease apart how much is cancer, how much treatment, how much is poor nutrition. But certainly by at least improving the nutritional status, it gives the best chance of having a best quality of life, you know, helping improve our mental status as well. Yeah. So we've done some interesting studies with head and neck cancer, because that is one of the cancer types that does not surprisingly have quite a lot of nutrition problems. Mm -hmm. And having that individualized nutrition counseling, helping 
patient really make every mouthful count. And often that might be, if they can't swallow properly, it might be in the form of fluids, nourishing fluids, supplements. And just seeing that those that had the extra support did better in terms of less treatment interruptions, better quality of life, and even some of the studies have showed survival. Now, that's a tricky one because you need big sample sizes for that, but emerging evidence is looking good. So certainly I'd argue that nutrition is very important for the treatment and we do have more evidence in, in certain types and they tend to be those head and neck, gut, gastro ones, pancreatic. But really, I think last I look, we've got... At least 13 of the very common cancer types have a link in terms of nutrition. So either a poor diet can increase the risk of developing those cancers and or we have good evidence that improving nutrition and making sure someone's well-nourished is associated with better outcomes for the patient. So Dr. Liz, maybe switching gears a bit and zooming out a bit, I think anytime we talk to experts like you, our listeners want to hear your advice and what you would counsel them on. I know, you know, we talked about this, cancer is very personal, it's different person to person, but for our listeners out there, what would be kind of that key piece of advice or counsel that you would give from a nutrition standpoint to people going through cancer? Yeah, so for those who are actually going through cancer treatment, ideally an individual assessment to manage side effects, because we've actually got good evidence that if you can manage your appetite, decrease the risk of nausea, then you're actually just going to feel better and get through treatment. So little and often, if you're not feeling overly hungry, eating little and often, making sure every mouthful counts. So perhaps having fluids or supplements, if you find that a hot meal is a little bit off-putting, ease is the way to go. So have pre-prepared food in the fridge or some sort of dairy or fruit products in the fridge ready to go. And for some people who might be experiencing smell or taste challenges, using colder foods can be very helpful as well. So those are a couple of little simple tips. And of course, eating the rainbow to try and get those nutrients in. A common question is around supplements Mm -hmm. and always chat to your health professional. But the rule of thumb is that you don't want too many antioxidants during treatment because they may actually interfere with the chemo or the radiation. So getting them naturally through food is, is generally okay, but you don't want to have high amounts otherwise. And so that's important to mention because, of course, a lot of people think that they need to have heaps of supplements, but not so much during treatment. Okay. Talk to your healthcare team and after treatment might be the time, unless you're deficient, of course, but that's part okay. of the health check. Great, great advice. So that's during treatment. A few little tips in terms of cancer prevention, eating the rainbow, watching your weight, walking regularly. And really aiming for more of our veggies, like, you know, grated (laughs) veggies into all sorts of things. And just think about it as a snack. So you don't actually need to snack on your chips or your cookies. Actually think about having some raw veggies with a beautiful salsa or hummus. Great advice. And and Dr. Liz, before we close out, there are so many things and so many, I would say, misconceptions and myths about cancer and nutrition And what we wanted to do was a little bit of a a rapid fire where we give you a misconception or kind of a belief about cancer nutrition, and maybe in 30 seconds or less, give us your point of view on how you see this. So you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. So the first one. So anybody who's gone through cancer or currently going through cancer, they need to cut out sugar altogether. Okay. Simple grain of truth or sugar to that. Yes, cancer cells love sugar. However, they love everything. 
They love fat. They love carbohydrate as well. And just by restricting sugar, it's not going to starve the cancer because it will also break down the fat and the muscle. Our muscle can get converted to sugars in the body. So it sounds nice in theory, a little bit of truth, but it is an oversimplification. Basically, look after your nutrition, eat well. Great. Number two, need to go vegan or vegetarian? No. A vegan or vegetarian diet can be healthy, and I would always encourage people to eat more fruit and veg. However, no. And in fact, it may be detrimental, particularly if you need high protein intakes. So you don't need to. You don't need to. Although keeping in mind, a lot of people do eat too much meat, but you don't need to. Number three, we talked a little bit about this, but if oil is a part of the diet, the recommendation would be to use coconut oil. No, (laughs) it's okay (laughs) to include a little bit if you want, but all this super coconut oil is going to cure everything. Once again, a little bit of truth to it. When they're talking coconut oil, they're normally talking MCT, medium chain triglycerides. We got some Mm -hmm. wonderful evidence about that, but that's only one component. There's all these other saturated fats we don't know about. So if you want to include a little bit, that's great. But we actually have more evidence that olive oil is a healthier oil. So, And last but not least, need to go gluten-free. No, not unless, you know, you've got celiac disease or some sort of intolerance. And in fact, if you're going for processed gluten-free products, they may actually be less healthy. So they're often low fiber, higher sugar, and not great for managing blood sugar or whatever else. So you know, all these brownies and everything you see, like gluten-free, trying to pretend they're healthy. Yes, they don't have gluten, but don't kid yourself that they're a healthier option. So no, for most people, that one is also false. Okay, great. So Dr. Liz, before we close out, any last words from you in terms of in general on cancer and nutrition? Because, you know, we are on the cusp of World Cancer Day coming up and we want to be a part of that mission to drive awareness and engagement within the cancer community. Yes, nutrition matters and it improves at every stage of the cancer journey. You know, we spoke about cancer's scary. They're often going around to different treatments. They don't know what they can do. Nutrition's not only an enjoyable thing, it's social, but it's also one area of the cancer journey that they can have a bit more control over. And it's a great way that family and friends can help support their loved one with cancer as well. So nutrition matters make sure you speak to a professional like a registered dietitian, get the best advice. So I might just finally end on, you know, one of my beautiful patients over 90, got through treatment, nutrition got him through, and now he's ballroom dancing. Wow. I can't even ballroom dance. Yes. (laughs) It's fantastic. So thank you, Dr. Liz, for your time. This is super insightful. Hopefully we can do this again as this topic is just a teeming with insights and more information. Dr. Liz Eisenring is an advanced accredited dietitian nutritionist, CEO of Link Nutrition, and professor of nutrition dietetics at Bond University. And Dr. Liz, if people want to follow you outside of this podcast, where can they follow you on social media? All over the socials. So Dr. Liz Nutrition or Link Nutrition. And I always love connecting to talk all things nutrition, health, and well-being. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Nutrition and Oncology. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion and learned something new. If you haven't already, please rate and review and subscribe to Nutrition Unlocked so you can ensure you don't miss an episode and you can let others know about the podcast.